Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now here's your hosts, Jason Garrett and Raghav Sharma. All right, guys, we are live with the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We're doing a unique episode here. We figured uh, Jason and I here could just sit down and chat with you all a little bit more about the background of the podcast, how we met, and kind of why we're deciding to take on this project and what we hope to achieve with it. So um, this is there's nothing scripted here. We're just talking uh, from the bottom of our hearts right here. So, yeah. Straight from the heart to your ears. All right, so uh, I'll get started. Jason, um, tell me a little bit about your background and like how you came to appreciate preventive medicine, why you're involved in this project. Okay, um, so for me, it's kind of a, a, a journey of a process. Um, I didn't know I wanted to go to medical school um, until a little bit later in life. Um, in high school, I played sports. I played hockey growing up, played baseball, played basketball. Um, but in high school, I also started getting kind of fat to be honest. Um, just in high school, why'd you start getting fat in high school? Uh, just, Most people like either start fat and like stay there or like, so I was like, I was a, definitely a chubby kid. I was of all my family members. I was like the chubby one, you know, but then I grew tall. So I'm, I basically grew to six foot two when I was in the eighth grade. So it leveled out, it leveled out, but then my eating caught back up with <laughs> my height, my growth. So like by the end of my junior year, I think I was almost 260 pounds. Um, and one day I was literally just getting in my car and I put on the seatbelt and it was so tight that I like that. That was my moment of like, I got to do something about this. I know exactly how you feel with that. I was also 260 pounds, except I'm not six, two. We'll get into my story later. I was like five, eight at that weight. But so, but yeah, so, um, at that point I had already been lifting weights. Um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about lifting weights, but you know, just whatever the basketball team was doing or, you know, whatever I was reading on the internet at that time. Uh, but at that time I really decided to clean up my diet. Um, and again, at that time, knew absolutely nothing about the diet, uh, was very um, reductionist in my mindset of healthy foods, good foods, bad foods, and tried to cut out the quote unquote junk food from my diet. And it worked. Um, I got, I lost about 60 pounds over the next year. And then that kind of pushed me into wanting to learn about exercise, wanting to learn about nutrition. Um, so in college, I actually went on to uh, major in nutrition with a minor in biology with a heavy emphasis on exercise science classes. Um, fast forward to senior year, I'm in my last semester, I'm taking an advanced exercise physiology course and the course professor was an MD PhD. So super small class, super awesome discussions. Um, and he actually had convinced me through our discussions to, to either pursue an MD or a DO, um, basically letting me know like, hey, if you wanna do exercise research, you could do that as a physician, but your reach will be limited uh, in these other fields, if you don't become a physician. So decided to do that, um, ended up going to Northwestern university, getting my post-bac certificate with all my pre-med courses, applied to medical school. And uh, now here we are. When it came to, uh, making your impact, I guess, from that scale, did your professor like see that you wanted to make an impact on a larger scale or how did he know that you wanted to have that large impact? And why'd you, why'd he encourage you to go to med school for that? 
Uh, I think it was just so, you know, and I honestly, I wish I could remember the exact discussion where we kind of came to that point, but um, we had been talking about research. So um, I had been talking to him about possibly pursuing a research project with him. Um, and he was wondering, you know, at, at that point, I think he was wondering what my plans were. At the time, my plans were to either go on and get my PhD in nutrition or get my PhD in exercise science. So I kind of just wanted to get my feet wet with research and see what that life was about. And as somewhere along in, in the lines in that conversation, he had convinced me to go the, the medical school route. Um, and also at that time. So during college, I had worked um, at a lifetime fitness, just doing front desk customer services stuff. Um, during that time, I actually got certified as a CrossFit trainer and began working uh, for a CrossFit gym up here in Illinois. Um, and so I'd done that for about four years by that point as well. And we had kind of um, talked about the the differences between working like with the front facing front lines, so to speak of the fitness world versus the research versus physicians. And so this kind of the idea of what we're working on now has kind of been brewing in a lot of ways since probably six, seven years ago, man. Yeah. So how'd you, I mean, a lot of people go into like fitness and nutrition and stuff and like, yeah, I'm super interested in this stuff, but they never actually like come to realize anything about preventive medicine. You realize that a lot of people, when you start getting into like fitness and working out, they know nothing about how it translates to their health or like how it translates to them living in a better life and more longevity, anything like that. So how'd that realization come about? Um, so I, I think it was, during or around that time when I started working with people on their own fitness, uh, when I really saw the impact, um, and even then, you know, my knowledge base was still uh, compared to what it is now and it's still growing, but you know, my knowledge base then was, was much smaller than it is now, but seeing the difference you could make, um, I had some clients going from, you know, 300 pounds to 180 pounds. Wow. Definitely. They were moving better. They were, they were, you know, talking to their doctor about being on less medications. They were improving their lives. They were feeling better. Um, and uh, towards the end of that process too, I had graduated and gotten my bachelor's degree in nutrition. And so I was also incorporating uh, nutrition, uh, nutrition consulting um, in my personal training or in my CrossFit training as well. Um, and seeing the difference that could make the combination of nutrition you know, evidence-based nutrition practices that are, are beneficial with exercise, with kind of an overall uh, lifestyle change in mind. And just seeing the, the huge change it can make in people's lives was like, man, this is awesome. So it kind yeah. of gave me that, um, that idea of, you know, what if we could incorporate that into medicine somehow? And again, my, my, uh, my knowledge on what happens in the, in the, the, I guess the medical side of the world at that point was almost nothing other than, you know, getting my yearly checkup or yeah. whatever. So, yeah, so that's kind of my story. Um, just kind of getting into things. And then throughout medical school, um, I actually ended up getting mentored by, um, the Austin Baraki, Dr. Austin Baraki. Um, and if you guys are listening to this, you probably have already heard of that episode. And if you haven't, make sure to go check that out. It's the first episode we had and it was an absolutely fantastic one. So yeah, Dr. Baraki was great. Um, he actually was, he became an adjunct faculty for my school. Really? Um, he was my mentor for, uh, this, um, I forgot what it was called. It was like human, something humanism and medicine. Okay. So we started going over all these studies. How'd you, how'd you get in touch with them? Cause that's not someone you just like stumble upon. I know. So it actually was totally random, right? So, uh, my freshman year of medical school, I found barbell medicine 
uh, as actually just from Jordan Feigenbaum's yeah. Instagram. And I was like, at that time I was competing in powerlifting and I was like, you know, these guys offer coaching. So I just randomly applied for their coaching and got assigned. I think Austin got assigned to me. So I guess that's the way, uh, maybe they, they just like shift out their clients. But, um, so it actually, the funny thing is, is I was hoping to get coached by Jordan. So I didn't know anybody yeah, else yeah. on the team yet. And then, uh, so Austin started as my coach. He felt, like, who, who's this guy? Yeah. I, I want Jordan. And then I think through one of our early, uh, like just uh, weekly check-ins with Austin, he, like, we ended up talking about medicine. I told him, Hey, I'm a medical student. And then from there, we kind of just got into a lot, I guess a lot more of a, he became a, a, a huge influence on me and mentor for me. Um, he helped me erase a lot of silly ideas maybe that I had. Um, and then, uh, we spent, a lot of time uh, in discussions in the in the year between my first year of medical school and my second year, um, he had sent me uh, this book, Explain Pain Supercharged, which is basically this book on all the science and data behind chronic pain and how we you know experience pain. And yep. we ended up going we, into we should talk into this part. <laughs> am I am I not? Is that better? Yeah, because sometimes okay. you go like. It's like kind of going away. Yeah, you got to make sure you go straight into it. All right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm technical st- things. I'm still a rookie on the, uh, the technical <laughs> side of things, as you could probably tell at home. Um, but no. So um, we ended up going through into a lot of the data on pain and, you know, um, kind of that experience for folks. And that opened my eyes to a lot of things. And um, so, yeah, Austin's been a really good, uh, good friend of mine, a good, uh, a good mentor to me going through medical school. And that kind of opened my eyes to kind of how we can combine all this. So, you know, shout out to Barbell Medicine kind of paving the way for us to, you know, make our little, hopefully our niche and, you know, make a difference out there, help them make a difference out there. Definitely agreed with that. So what about you, man? So I know, you know, you've definitely made it, you've made it a, um, a clear on your personal YouTube and kind of talking about your story about you were diagnosed. By the way, if you haven't seen my YouTube, go check it out. Repping the RS Fitness shirt too. <laughs> Perfect timing right here. Dude, so, you know, I know you, you're, uh, you're people who are, are known to your YouTube know your story where you were diagnosed with hypothyroidism at a young age, um, had some, probably some poor eating habits like myself. You're back taking in the all day. my talking points. So am I supposed to tell them that? <laughs> I, I, all right, I'll, I'll shut up. You tell them <laughs> your story. All right. All right. No, it's fine. But um, so essentially what happened, I don't know if you guys have seen anything that I put out there, but um, so when I was, uh, I think it was four years old, I always forget the exact uh, year. Sometimes I say three, sometimes I say whatever. I was young. So I went to a a beach at one point and then um, drank some seawater there, got sick. It was on the news that apparently the beach was shut down because there was some sort of bacterial outbreak there. And then I got sick. So we're like, okay, it's just the bacteria from that beach. I'll be fine. But then uh, I got over the sickness. But then over the next year, I kind of just kept gaining weight and didn't grow in height. And you can imagine for anyone who's like uh, four or five years old, you're supposed to gain some height there and like not get that big. Um, I was a really active kid before then. Uh, my mother always describes, I was like literally running around before I was one year old. So I was like super active. And then all of a sudden I was not active. I was getting like huge. I, in my personal statements for medical school and like applying for residency, um, I always describe myself as a bowling ball at that point. So I was growing the wrong direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going the wrong direction. So uh, there was that. And then eventually I got diagnosed. Uh, it was a very strange diagnosis. Now looking back at it, now that we do know medicine of somewhat, um, typically we think of thyroid through like a couple ways, but mine, there was like, they literally like ate the thyroid gland, whatever it is. So you think it was some sort of like a, some sort of inflammation bacteria. Of, that's, <laughs> dude, that's like the most random, like it's crazy. I know it's pretty crazy. Cause yeah. when they did the ultrasound, now looking back at it, that I like, think about this from a medical standpoint, when they did the ultrasound, it was like literally missing chunks of thyroid. Like someone took bites out of it. 
That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird diagnosis so, for sure. So you've been on medical therapy for your hypothyroidism yeah. since. So then. I have to take uh, levothyroxine or Synthro, which is the brand name, for the rest of my life because I just don't have a thyroid gland there anymore. So I was uh, diagnosed, but that weight that I kept on kind of always stayed there. And um, I guess I also am a lover of food, which as you get older, obviously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, not necessarily the most self-serving thing at some point, but hey, life satisfaction, right? Right. First world problems. Exactly. So when you grow older, you like get a bigger appetite, right? So my appetite kept getting bigger and I loved food. So I kept eating and I had not necessarily the best eating habits. So um, I kept a lot of that weight, never lost it, and kind of just realized and accepted that I would be the fat kid for the rest of my life. Um, and I think a lot of kids when they're going through school kind of accept that role because you see all your other friends that are like normal, quote unquote, and you see yourself as big and you're like, all right, this is me now. I'm going to tolerate some sort of bullying. I'm going to be the kid who's not as, um, who doesn't look the same, who's not going to get the same, uh, I guess, acceptance from their peers sometimes. Yeah, so yeah, you're like, you know, it's, it's kind of that you almost, should we pause while this we're, yeah. we're uh, experiencing some sound difficulties from the, okay. So we're good. <laughs> um, but so you kind of, it almost develops or, or causes you to develop at a young age, a defeatist mindset, right? Like hundred uh, percent, like you, you, you don't have that self-efficacy that others have because you're just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm the fat kid. That's just who I am. Yeah. You just identify with that. Like there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah. It's just, that's who you are. I mean, also there's, there's one aspect of that. I wouldn't say I was just like accepting myself as a fat kid. I just thought it was normal. I was like, this is me. This is who I am. And it's not like I was defeatist as saying like, I am the fat kid. Therefore my life is not, not as necessarily good. negative. Ex exactly. It's just like, that's your identity at that point. And then when you're a kid, you don't really have any health problems, right? Because every kid is plastic. Um, you're not really going to have any injuries. Like if you fall or anything, your metabolic health and everything is fine because you're growing, you're a kid, right? So I kept up that way. And then uh, in high school, like Jason was saying, he was 260 pounds at what, like 6'2 or something? Yeah. I was 260 pounds at like 5'8, which is a completely different picture. Um, it's kind of still like that bowling ball. And, um, at my yearly appointments, uh, bi-yearly at that point with my endocrinologist, um, he would all say I need to like do some sort of portion control. I need to lose weight. But there was one, uh, specific, um, appointment that I had where he was like, yo, you like actually need to do something about this or you were, I don't know how I didn't already develop it at that point, but you were like, you're going to be diabetic in the next couple of months and you're going to shorten your lifespan if you get it at this point. And I was like, like, what? I, I, we got to do something about this now. Like, so the first thing. So you're being faced with like chronic medical diseases as a kid. Exactly. At 16 years old. And thank God I understood what that meant at 16 years old and brush it off. And thank God I also had a very good endocrinologist. Shout out to Dr. Zeller. Um, that was able to like communicate that to me in an effective manner. So one, one of the things that's interesting about Raghav's story is a lot of times, you know, we hear folks um, who are overweight, they they kind of default to the thyroid, right? Like, oh, there must be something with my thyroid, but there actually was something wrong with his thyroid. And still on top of, even when he was adequately managed medically, was still gaining weight. So it's one of those things where you can have multiple issues and like apparently that your endocrinologist thought that he, you were managed appropriately and exactly. still gaining weight. So. Yeah. I mean, if you read through Instagram and a lot of things, people are like, yo, I have hypothyroidism. That's why I can't lose weight. But if you have the appropriate medication for that, you can still lose weight. The medication is essentially there to make you like physiologically normal Just again. Normal. Yeah. Then after that, it's up to you. It's your uh, behaviors and whatever you eat, your nutrition, your exercise and everything else that comes along with that. 
So, uh, is that around the time when you started exercising? Yeah. So like Jason, uh, once again, I kind of just had the bad food, good food mentality. And the first thing I did that I always say, I went home and I looked up how to get a six pack. Cause that's obviously like, that's that was, what you want to do. Right? That was my goal too. When I first started losing weight was like, I had, I had zero health thoughts on my mind. I was just like, I want to get a six pack. Especially being thing. in high school, it's like, yo, let yeah. me get a six pack. That, yeah. That's all all my problems. I feel like that's for like uh, chubby kids growing up. That's like the holy grail. Exactly. It's like that's the epitome of health right there is having a six pack. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I went home and I kind of just started on the whole process. And although I didn't have like the quote unquote correct approach at that point, where I was just like cutting out foods left and right, um, I did start to see some results. I started hitting the gym more consistently, um, and yeah, I just started to see the results and was like, wow, there's something to this here. And then. It just kind of uh, went on itself and now we're here. You know, it's, it is interesting you say that because there's a lot of discussion um, currently, I guess, on the fitness world, the strength training world about optimizing your beginning progress um, and kind of, I, th I think what the, the, the data supports and what the popular idea is right now is that really what tends to happen with folks is whether their beginning training can be totally suboptimal, which both of ours probably was. Cause same way I would go in the gym and, you know, do a lot of bench press biceps. And I did. So I, I have like chronic shoulder injuries on my left side because of how poorly my form was like how I was lifting at that point. So definitely regretting that now, but it's like one of those things too, where we both, you know, like it, it almost snowballs into wanting to learn more. So you see, maybe you have a, you know, we had, you know, not the best, I guess, uh, knowledge base at the time, but we made good progress because we worked hard and we're consistent and it almost causes, or it caused me at least, um, to want to learn more. And, and that kind of, it kind of built its own pro its own, uh, momentum, so to speak. Exactly. As we're talking about in, uh, several of our episodes, we say like these little changes just kind of compound on themselves. And then it makes you more interested and more eager to kind of go to the next step. And then it just builds on itself. So I think both of us have a very similar thing where we started and it doesn't matter where we started. Like, obviously we were doing things wrong. We had no idea what the hell we were doing, but we were doing something and we were consistent with it and we saw results and we we're like, okay, maybe there's something to this. Yep. And then we kind of look up how to actually do things properly. And then it just keeps going from there. And I think, you know, for personally, I think that kind of highlights something important as well Is you know, at that time, once I started, once others started to realize that I was making good progress and it could be visible from the outside, people would already, you know, as at age 18 with me at the time thinking I knew a lot, but not really knowing a lot, that full Dunning-Kruger <laughs> effect, uh, people would come to me for advice and I would probably, was probably giving people like friends and family members, not the best advice at the time, uh, but it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, we talk about all the time why there's a need for professionals in this space. And, and that can be part of the reason why. I mean, because the fittest person you see doesn't necessarily mean that they exactly know what they're doing, yeah, right? Exactly. So that's one lesson that I learned too, looking back at, I kind of cringe at some of the advice I may have given friends and family at, <laughs> at age like 18, oh, yeah, 19. Oh, yeah. But even some of my own beliefs, I mean, you know, it's it's definitely something that grows over time. You know, if you choose to, to want to learn and be open-minded to finding other folks who know more than you um, and leaning on them for, for kind of help growing in that direction, that's a good... Uh, 
I'm glad that that happened in my life. Yeah. And then that same thing where people start asking you advice, I started getting like a decent amount of that. Cause when you're a five, eight, two sixty, and you start changing your body composition, it looks pretty drastic <laughs> yeah, to a lot dude. of people. And at my leanest, I got down to like 170 pounds. And keep same. It- we, we had the same <laughs> top weight and like the same bottom weight. That's that. funny, dude. Yeah. I mean, I was like 172 pounds or something yeah, like that at the exactly. at my lowest. So I had gained yeah. a decent amount of muscle. So when you get down to 170 pounds at like five ten at that point with some muscle, it's a pretty drastic effect. So people are like, yo, what did, what are you doing? Like, can I get some of those steroids too? So at that <laughs> point, that's that why I started train. my website, Raghav Sharma Fitness. Um, that's what it started as because people were requesting, like, how do I get help? So I started just like writing things down of uh, different tips that I would give people because I didn't want to just like one-on-one give it to everything. I was like, here, here's an article. So did you start a, did you start a business at that time? So I was quote unquote business, maybe you could say. I kind of just offered some coaching and then it was just a bunch of my friends who would pay me um, kind of just to make a program or to help them with their nutritional advice. So I think in in different ways, we both kind of realized the potential for, you know, this kind of what we're doing now, even a long time ago, um, just maybe not having the full means or full, I guess, networking potential at that time to to make it work. But um I definitely think that, you know, when I was good, when I started working, actually working in fitness um, was when I really realized that the future of kind of spreading information is not going to be person to person like we're sitting right now, just because that at that time, social media was just starting to blow up. Yeah. I think like 2012, 2013 was right around when Instagram started getting really popular. Twitter was already popular at that point. So it's like, look at how many people you could reach. Yeah. You know, that you don't even know. Honestly, sometimes I want to like, I, w- I wish I was like four or five years older because then at that point when things did start to blow up in 2012, 2013, you would have like been somewhat established to like actually give good advice on a larger scale and know what we're doing. Whereas now, obviously it's a little bit saturated in what we're doing. We're obviously still hoping to make an impact. And even if we have an impact of like one or two people, it's fantastic. But you, you got to look back and be like, damn, I wish I started back in 2012 and like Dude, knew what like I was right doing. Right at the boom of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you you look at some of the bigger uh, fitness health um, people that are on and social that's media. When they started. That's when they started. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's one of those things that we're both still in this learning process. Uh, but what would you say you've learned them? What's been the biggest thing you've learned since we started putting this together a little over a year ago? So the biggest thing that I've learned is actually kind of more of a reframing. So I feel like I've learned a decent amount because my personality is if I want to do something and if I'm like trying to learn about it, I just dive all the way into it, try to do as much as I can. So it's kind of, there's a difference between knowing things and knowing how to apply those things and being able to reframe what you know into a way that can help people. Make it useful. Exactly. And I think that's what I'm learning more of right now because um, I've, I've written a lot of articles for my website. So like all this information has been there, but I don't think I've ever actually been able to like package it in a way that's going to help people and actually reach people so that I can make an impact. And I think what we're doing through this podcast is one of the ways I've learned how to transfer all this information, make it digestible into a way that other people can benefit from it too. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned in this year is one how much work goes into just even, you know, oh, even if yeah. we have no listeners, we just to, just to get this thing live and get it going. I mean, that the hours of writing, the hours of 
just, you know, us talking about, you know, our vision for what we want to accomplish and, you know, aligning those things, finding guests, finding time to sit down with guys. And then we got hit with COVID. Yeah. Like, COVID has been a huge challenge because initially we wanted to do everything in person. Obviously, yeah, this was it's supposed better. to be the format for most of our our podcast because yeah, the audio is going to be a lot crisper when you can get everyone in person versus recording things over Zoom. So we've had a lot of challenges in the past couple, several months. And so of all of our, I think our first nine episodes, this one, and we have one other episode that was with uh, our guest in person and the rest were via Zoom. So um, shout out to Raghav though. You figured out how to do the Zoom and it's, it's the, a, it's the a audio. process. Man. I'm just trying, I don't know how to do anything either. I'm just trying to learn how to do it myself and put it together and hopefully it's acceptable. Yeah. And so for those of you that don't know where we're at right now in our training, so we both just began our fourth year of medical school. Um, what that means to us is, um, uh, this is a big year. So we are both in the process in the next couple months of taking our last written board exams, applying to residency programs for the specialties that we're planning to go into and then interviewing at those programs. And then by next spring, we'll hopefully know where we're going to be for the next four or five years. Yeah. So, uh, Jason here wants to go into anesthesia and, uh, why do you want to go into anesthesia? So I actually, it's kind of a weird, uh, how I stumbled upon it going into medical school, I could have told you with all my heart that I was going to be ortho. Yeah. Like when, it, whenever, by the way, for anyone who does not know anything about medicine, whenever you see someone who like lifts is somewhat in shape and uh, like a dude ortho, like you just get labeled ortho and that's it. You're done. People just, I mean, you don't even have to tell people what you want to do. They're just like ortho. You know? <laughs> exactly. But so, you know, and I, I worked really hard during the first two years. So again, another kind of behind the scenes medical school thing is, you know, one thing I learned going into medical school beforehand was you don't just pick what you want to do and then you do it right. There's, you got to score well, like depending on what specialty you want to do. There's a lot into, of hoops to jump through no matter is. what you want to do. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely geared up to make sure I was in a good position to apply to ortho. And, uh, but then during third year I had my ortho rotation and it was a great experience. Um, I had a great preceptor. It was a, you know, I, I got a lot of hands-on experience. Um, but then I found myself not loving it. And I thought it's only been a month. That's a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I started kind of looking into other specialties of, I, you know, I know I wanted to do something that was hands-on. Um, <laughs> All you did is you looked behind the curtain at the yeah. anesthesia guys. Yeah. You didn't go far. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, you know, I actually, in my general surgery rotation, I had a, uh, a conversation with one of the anesthesiologists and you know, I kind of, at that point, I, I didn't know much about anesthesia other than they put people to sleep, but we had a conversation about, you and know, make sure they get up by the way. Yeah. That's the most important part. Making not putting sure they them wake to sleep. Up, probably the, probably the more important aspect. Um, but just the, the actual broad scope of things that anesthesiologists have to know how to apply it. And then different fields you can go into such as pain management, critical care, uh, cardiothoracic. Uh, but uh, I just recently finished my first anesthesia rotation. And the things that I loved about it the most were uh, you get to see the fruits of your labor very quickly. So, you know, you're doing a nerve block for a surgical procedure and, you know, within a minute, if you did the yeah. job, you know, um, you know, it's, it's quick on, and then you kind of have a little bit of a break, you know, kind of just making sure yeah. everything's, everything's good with the patient. And then you got to wake them up again, do that whole process again, follow them in the, to their, you know, their post-surgical care. So I just really liked all those aspects, hands-on, broad base of knowledge for pharmacology, physiology, pathophysiology. Uh, and then that instant gratification of you do the work, you see it, it's good, you're done. 
By the way, if you guys are listening to this um, not and are not watching the video, then this wind behind us is, we're sitting outside. There's also a plane flying above us right now. So just bear with us on uh, any uh, difficulties for this podcast. So yeah, on, on that note, um, so Raghav, you're going into physical medicine and rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about why you chose that and what you're going to do down the road. Yeah. So physical medicine and rehab is a very unique field because honestly, not many people know about it. If you tell them, I want to go into PM&R, they're like, P- PM and what? Yeah. What is that? What does that mean? So physical or, medicine. Or a physiatrist? Like, yeah, like exactly. What, you're exactly. a psychiatrist? So I, that's actually funny you say that because I sent an email to uh, my clinical coordinator like at medical school saying like there's a physiatry rotation I want to do and I sent her the syllabus for it and she's like, this has nothing to do with psychiatry. <laughs> I was like, this is physiatry, not psychiatry. So even in medical school, people don't know what it is. And even a lot of physicians, for some reason, still don't know what it is. But I think it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it's a new field, but it's definitely become more prominent. More people definitely, are applying. Definitely. So the field itself started uh, after World War II. And uh, it was really a combination of two fields. There's physical medicine and also rehabilitation. And it kind of came about because uh, there was a lot of soldiers coming back with a lot of injuries and like people didn't know how to take care of them. And they needed a lot of rehabilitation. They had a lot of needs and there wasn't really a field that kind of was dedicated to that. So physical medicine rehab kind of came about to fill that need. And since then, it's been kind of blowing up uh, because it just has a very wide scope of practice. And as the years go on and like every year, it seems that the field gets broader and broader because in physical medicine rehab, you can do a wide variety of things. You can do things like interventional pain, like what um, Jason was talking about with anesthesia, where we also do those nerve blocks and whatnot. But you also go all the way to the other side where you have a patient who just had a stroke and then you're kind of helping them deal with the symptoms of their stroke and kind of finding out what they can do. Exactly. Their new obstacles and helping them rehab back into the world. So physical medicine and rehab kind of is just very broad. And that's one of the reasons that I'm very intrigued with it. And I was lucky enough to actually find out about it before medical school even started, um, through just shadowing physicians before getting to medical school. So it's been amazing. Uh, a little bit, depending on when we release this episode, some of you may have already heard our podcast with Dr. Tariq, yeah. who was a fantastic guest on our podcast, um, also a physiatrist. Yeah. Um, he kind of he kind of opened my eyes a lot to uh, the preventive side of PM&R, you know, where he, we talked about some things like, like you just said, like stroke patients, right? Part of that job is preventing more second adverse stroke. events. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so and it's not just the second stroke. It's also the other things that come along with uh, a stroke. Like, for example, you might not be able to exercise as you were before. So you increase your risk of like uh, heart disease and all these other things that come along with that. So you kind of have to look at the whole patient when it comes to PM&R and like rehab in general. Which um, speaking of the whole patient, that actually kind of is a good, probably a good time to talk about, you know, we're both osteopathic medical students, yeah. um, DO versus MD. So, um, I know myself, I didn't know what the DO versus MD was at all until I actually applied to medical school. Um, So can you tell us a little bit what is the difference between an allopathic or an MD program and an osteopathic or a DO program? Yeah, so the main difference, um, and in reality, they're pretty much the same thing at this point. And the main difference is that in an osteopathic program, you learn uh, manual medicine. So the theory behind osteopathic medicine is that um, for some reason, back in the day when they're creating it, they saw allopaths not really like putting their hands on patients, kind of giving them medicine and like saying next in line, move on. So yeah, yeah and we're talking hundreds of years. Exactly. Ago. We're yeah. not talking about like 
like yesterday or last year. We're talking about like when it was founded, when it was, uh, what was that date again? Oh, the, uh, we're supposed to memorize this for school, should, but we, I forgot it. I want to say it's like 18 1870 something. 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 Yeah. The Whatever banner to is. the wind day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Um, that's why osteopaths like started practicing osteopathy, like put their hands on patients, really understand what's going on with them. And they also thought that a lot of the problems that people had could be fixed by manual medicine. So like physically manipulating parts of the body. And although a lot of the practices that they used to have like way back then have kind of been watered down now as science evolves and we figure out more about how things actually work, there still is a very large component of manual medicine that is beneficial to patients, like very simple techniques that maybe can help them so that they can do other uh, forms of therapy afterwards. So it's kind of why I applied there. In uh, So yeah, just to, to kind of piggyback off of that. So like Raga was saying, how the curriculums now for both of those sorts of programs, if you went to an osteopathic versus an allopathic medical school, aside from we, I think it's a 200 to 300 Two, hour yeah. Yeah. Uh, mandatory uh, hours we have to have for the physical hands-on training. The other curriculum is the same. We take yeah. the same board exams. Uh, you end up in the same residency programs. And so um, now more and more we're seeing to, to I guess, fill this physician sh uh, shortage in America, more osteopathic schools pop up. Um, and so I think by the time we graduate uh, or a few years after we graduate, about a quarter of all physicians that you will see uh, in hospitals and outpatient or wherever are going to be DOs. So um, it's one of the things that um, is something I didn't know about going into. And so, you know, sometimes you'll see, after, you know, on someone's white coat or on their name, Dr. So-and-so DO versus MD, um, we will be DOs, mm -hmm. um, but that, that will give us the same licensing and practice rights as MDs. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know if you're, whoever's listening to this knows a little bit about what's going on in medicine, but essentially they're heading towards the same route. They kind of, uh, merged, uh, like last year. So it's kind of just essentially going to be the same thing in the next couple of years. So there's essentially no difference. Yeah. So, I mean, is, so what Raga was saying is basically the residencies that we apply to are now all under the same, under the same leadership. banner. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> we're all, uh, we're all hanging out in the same, uh, yeah. same playground now, so to speak. So, so, uh, when, uh, Jason and I met, we were actually already like halfway through medical school and, um, we had both completed our first two years. And I think right we started before step one, I think. Yeah. Right before yeah. step one is like essentially when we started talking to each other. And, uh, I just want to ask you how, how did that process go? Like, how did we meet and like, what happened there? Cause we're, I'm, I'm from uh, the Chicago area, and although Jason's extended family is from here, right? Yeah, so I and I grew up like probably 20 miles yeah, from here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he went to school uh, in Indianapolis, essentially. So how did we meet? I just want to ask you. So um, it's it's kind of an interesting story because I think there's a little bit more. There's like kind of some randomness to it, but also kind of like whoa, like a small world thing. So um, we actually start. I think we saw each other on each other's Instagram accounts. We both were commenting on the same. Instagram yeah, account. So we've like followed the same people and we're commenting on them. And then I think at some point I saw a couple of people's names and I was like, who are these people? I think we were actually, click on the profile. Yeah. Cause I think in one, there was like a comment thread that was getting heated on nutrition Yeah, and we were talking, we were like basically saying the same things almost. And I think we kind of were in and the it's same. Like, who this? Yeah. Right. And I was like, so I think it was kind of that, you know, just kind of uh, almost an organic process of meeting each other, you know, seeing each other being in the same. Then I was like, Oh, this dude lifts. So he lifts. He has some good ideas about nutrition. He's in medical school. I was like, this is a kind of a crazy coincidence. And then um, also uh, one of uh, my sister-in-law's good friends at the time is one of Raghav's classmates. So I, have actually, I had actually 
heard of Raghav before I even figured out that that person that I had met on Instagram was Raghav. So uh, shout out to Nick Corcoran. <laughs> by, Good to know he's scenes. talking about me too. Yeah. So I think you actually were like writing a strength program for him yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, I was. Yeah, so like he had mentioned one of his classmates was writing a strength program for him. Um, and then, yeah, so, and when we initially started talking was probably the most stressful time of both of our lives, getting ready for arguably the biggest exam we were ever going to, we were ever going to take in our lives. Um, so, um, but, so we kind of met and then didn't talk for a while after that. Um, and then after some what do you time, mean by, we, we met as in like the DMS, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, so we were like met. DMing back and forth on like a couple things. Like he would post something on his story and be like, hundred percent agreed. Yeah, like, That's yeah. excellent. Then he'd do the same thing for yeah. me. And it was kind of like that back and forth. It's kind of like, um, honestly, I was talking to my girlfriend about this, about how we met when I posted that behind the scenes thing on our Instagram, which by the way, go check out our Instagram. If you haven't already at, at prevent, prevent podcast. podcast. Yeah, exactly. She was like, it's kind of like dating. Like you guys are in the, you guys are in the DM. Yeah, dude, yeah, it's, it's, dude, that's so funny, but it's so true. I mean, it's almost like, like you like, Oh, this person has qualities that I, I would appreciate in a, you know, business partner or friend or whatever, but no, it kind of is remarkably similar to dating. Although, um, <laughs> hopefully not, hopefully not too similar. Yeah. So, and then a few months down the road, uh, once things kind of calmed down for our third year rotations was kind of getting into the routine of it. Um, I really wanted to pursue this idea of, you know, getting out there into the social media uh, or, or finding another avenue for getting this message of preventive health out there. Because, you know, other, other than just seeing patients in clinic and talking to people in my personal life, I felt like there was a bigger impact. And I knew already that based on seeing some of your YouTube content, some stuff that I was like, all right, this guy is already yeah, doing at, this. At this point, I had my website for, I think, a couple of years now. And so you wrote I, a book. Yeah, I wrote a I've been doing a couple things to try to like have whatever impact I can at whatever stage I was. So I had a website with articles covering different topics and nutrition on there. Um, I was offering some sort of coaching at that point to, I guess, whoever asked like uh, Nick, our buddy Nick. And uh, I was also making YouTube videos at that point. So I was kind of already putting myself out there on, in, on uh, Instagram where I was posting everything. So Jason saw that and he was like, yo, you want to collab on something? Yeah. And it, so it kind of started like we were at the beginning, we were unsure of how to make it work, you know, like you have, you know, you definitely were doing your own stuff that you wanted to keep working on and definitely like not completely forget about yeah, it's doing, like under my name. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you can't just give up on all the you know, stuff you're doing. So I think there was a, you know, a little bit of kind of just us brainstorming of how do we make this work? What's the best Avenue? And eventually we settled on a podcast. Um, I th we met in person first though. So Jason, yes, was, right. he was coming in because, uh, his in-laws were, he was meeting with his in-laws, right? We live like 10, like 15 minutes down the road from where you, where you're at right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, we decided to meet in person at that point and, uh, we sat down for breakfast and we just started kind of like chatting, kind of like this uh, episode right now, honestly. So all great things start with breakfast food. I guess yeah. that's what <laughs> no, Yeah, we sat down kind of like, and even though we were kind of still in that process of like, I don't know, like what, like just trying to figure out what's the best way to not blow off school. You know, you continue to want to, you know, for you to be able to continue to successfully pursue the things you wanted to. And then for us to 
create merge these you know these paths into a separate kind of business entity or yeah. a separate separate avenue. thing yeah. we, don't, we don't exactly know the like business Maybe directions business that we want to take yeah, exactly we don't know yeah. what direction we want to take it but yeah at that point when we met I had I was already doing the YouTube thing with my own personal channel I was already like writing articles and I was kind of just trying to figure out what another way is that I could impact people with a way that's not associated to my name and honestly I was already kind of thinking about doing a podcast at that point I just had no clue how to do it and then when we met and we started chatting we kind of just fell upon the idea of starting a podcast together and figured since um, he could be local sometimes and even you don't need to be local for podcasts yeah. like you as can do them virtually. definitely learned during the yeah, COVID Yeah exactly experience. as we learned out. We just figured it was the best thing and then from there we kind of just started figuring out what the podcast would be about what the message would be about, how we could collaborate together to get our shared vision of what we think uh, should, we should be doing in healthcare, how we should get that out there and we kind of just stumbled upon the name um, the Preventive Medicine Podcast because I was looking through the iTunes store and honestly this is the way that a lot of things come about. You just you just scroll through and I didn't see anything on preventive medicine. I was like, all right, let's be a little bit authoritative here because um, we want to be the guys for preventive medicine. I was like, this is the preventive medicine podcast and uh, here we are. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a great, I didn't even, like, I kind of sometimes forget that that's how we stumbled upon the name, but uh, it's one of those things that, you know, we were kind of one looking for a space that wasn't already occupied. Exactly. Um, that we could fill kind of our, with our own, you know, future expertise, not that we're anywhere near experts yet, yeah. but our future expertise. And, and that's why we also decided upon one of our, sorry to interrupt, but that's why we also decided on uh, interviewing other experts. Cause at this point we both collectively decided that we are still medical students. We don't necessarily know exactly what we should be saying to people because we're still in the learning process. We still have to go through residency. So why not find the actual experts, the people who are actually taking care of people who are making an impact and amplify their voices um, so that we can give like good information out there and get the those voices out and actually uh, help people. And I, you know, I, I think speaking for myself, I definitely have, you know, gotten a lot of learning out of this. I've learned a lot from each one of our guests that we've had on there. Um, and, you know, I think, like you said, amplifying the voices of people who really are experts, it has been our, our, our initial goal. And I think, you know, as we grow, our goals will probably shift a little bit and definitely things will change over time. But I think for the way we wanted to get started was, you know, Definitely, we we know some things. We're not, you know, we're, we're we're yeah. Both of us have like our own experiences. We've both been deep into this learning. Like we're not just the type of people that we were talking about earlier in this podcast. We're like you're doing things you don't know why it happens. Both of us like heavily research these things of why things Very are happening because about exactly we're interested yeah. in like what's going on. Yeah, and so we. At the same time, we're kind of unsure about the, the legality being medical students, you know, exactly. <laughs> being very clear that everything we're doing is for educational and entertainment purposes. This yeah. is not medical advice. And so like, that's the last thing either one of us wanted was to be ended yeah, up. I'm not some, trying to get in contact with a lawyer right now. Right, yeah. Uh, I, we have enough on our plates exactly. to not worry about that. But yeah, so one of the ways we figured our way around that kind of complication was, you know, we can assert some opinions here and there, but also give the, the main platform, as you've probably heard on our podcast already, is it's probably 80-20 that per the yeah. our guest talking versus us yeah. talking. So you get the actual experts and then you get to hear us chime in a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry if you really love our voices. And uh, I'm sorry if you can hear this train as well right now. It's kind of a little annoying, but um, yeah, you hear us in just a little bit and we want to make sure that 
as Jason was saying, we amplify the guest voices and really we're trying to find um, as many people as we can that are very qualified to give information and not only just information because there's a lot of people even with degrees out there like with that background that aren't necessarily evidence-based for whatever reason when um, the evidence that is existing in the literature clearly shows that something is more beneficial than the other. But so I don't know why people are not evidence-based in that sense. We want to amplify those voices, which are like making sure that this uh, advice is appropriate. Right. And you know, that's one of the things that both the kind of physicians we would like to be are not those physicians or, you know, people with PhDs do the same thing. People with whatever title, right. Insert title here. And then you're using your title to sell an idea that isn't really backed by evidence. And so um, trying to find those folks who are one going to be in the, I guess, in an official sense, an expert, PhDs, MDs, master's degrees, um, and also uh, abiding by the evidence in whatever field they're using or or, uh, working in. And so um, we've definitely found there are so many great people out there. And if you're watching this, if you're listening, uh, (laughs) we are always looking for guests. If you're, you know, if you're doing research in some field, if you're a physician, if you are a, a fitness expert, nutrition expert, whatever, if you consider yourself yeah, an expert in the, in the DMs field, at prevent yeah, podcast, at prevent podcast, um, we are definitely, um, open to talking to you guys. So, uh, we're definitely brand new at this. So the, the more interaction we have with you all, the better. Yeah. Uh, so where do you, where do you see this podcast going in the next, like, uh, let's ask you your, like your one year and your five year view. If we get to, we're going to get to five years. Let's, let's be honest yeah, here. I, I believe in us. I believe <laughs> but, in five years. But where do you, where do you see this podcast going? So, you know, I definitely think, uh, you know, as we kind of grow in the first year, I think I'd like us to, I'd like to see us grow in that social media space. So I think that's one avenue where, um, you know, I'd like to see us, I don't know if I have a number of followers in mind, but I'd like to make a dent in the social media world, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, and, and actually get our podcast into a spot where we're, we're getting consistent listener base, a consistent, uh, networking between different accounts and different I, I, people. To jump in here, I think that's not necessarily just because we want the numbers. I mean, it's nice to look at that thing and <laughs> no, see 100 followers. just to reach more folks. But yeah. we want to make sure that, number one, we can reach a large amount of people because we think our message is what we should be like putting out there, as well as we want to kind of drown out those voices which are not doing like something good for the people. There's a lot of voices on social media which are providing not necessarily harmful information, but stuff that either doesn't work or is flat out harmful. And we want to drown those voices out with the good information, which is Really hard to do, it seems. So in, a, in, a, in one sense, you know, just fighting the good fight of, you know, hopefully giving a voice to people who should have more of a exactly, voice. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I see in the first year, I see that being being my biggest goal with the podcast. Um, five years from now, I would like to see us branch out into other sort of avenues, uh, whether it's seminars, uh, written content, books, articles, whatever, and, and kind of get more into a you're, or I guess not into it more outside the social media space into the real world, the real world. Yeah. <laughs> kind of unplug from the matrix a little bit and maybe it's seminars, maybe it's, you know, in some weird way, maybe it's a, you know, in our, in our own individual practices down the road, incorporating what we're doing together, you know, maybe it's growing a physical following of folks who other yeah. physicians who want to join that, that namesake of preventive medicine docs. And, um, so I could, I mean, I could see it being huge. So I think the idea behind any lasting idea in that sense is that there's like a strong reason behind it of why you're doing it and why you think this is so important. I think that's definitely there for this podcast because as we've seen in both of our lives, preventive medicine is like 
it's very important and we need more and more people to practice it because if you've listened to any of our podcasts or seen any of our things on Instagram or Twitter, then you know that there's a problem in the U.S. and we have chronic diseases which are absolutely going out of control. Which, not to cut you off there, but we do, like one of the first things we did was actually put a series of posts together about why this is such a problem. Exactly. So if you go back to the, if you scroll down and look at some of the earlier posts we've made on our Instagram account, you'll see cardiovascular disease, diabetes, stroke, you know, diabetes, those yeah. obesity, those yeah. things that are really hurting people and why, like basically our why is in those posts. Exactly. And it's not necessarily even that we want to like treat those or we want to like help. It's because, um, let's, let's put that back. We do, at this point, if we have this many chronic diseases, like keep going, then we're not going to have enough physicians or not enough capacity in the healthcare system to deal with it. So even if we do like have all these diseases going, you can't, some people might say, all right, why not just treat it? We won't be able to. And there's, this is why we have such a high mortality rate for some of these diseases, which is absolutely staggering. And people shouldn't be just dying from these diseases that can easily be preventable with like a little bit of knowledge that we're trying to get out there. So, and, and I think that one of the reasons that we both pursued something that was outside of the hospital system or the current, I guess, uh, formal healthcare system is, you know, I've seen it firsthand on my rotations. I can't speak for you, but you know, these doctors get out there and they're immediately overwhelmed with the amount of work that they have. So any, you know, almost not any, but probably a large amount of their efforts are already going towards managing this huge problem or these huge numbers of problems that we have and that they can't, practice in a way that, or the, or maybe they're, they're stifled in a little bit in a sense of trying to prevent practice preventive medicine, because it's like, they're trying to put out this fire and then there's, and there's, there's yeah, more exactly, fires exactly. growing, you know, so they can't, you know, maybe practice in the way that they dreamed when they went to medical school. And so uh, hopefully by working outside that space, you know, we may be able to kind of do both work from both ends of this, this, this situation. All right, student doctor, uh, Sharma, where do you see us in, uh, one to five years? All right. Um, so yeah, I was talking about the why of like behind the podcast that we have in the message. And I think I'm right there with you on that year one of trying to get it out there to uh, more voices or get more voices out there and get a larger audience and try to grow that number. And I don't think there's an uh, exact number that we like to hit, like you said. And I think it's pretty arbitrary. You can't say like, I want to reach 100K people. And like, you're just setting an expectation for yourself that you don't know if you're going to meet that. You have no clue what's going to happen. Well, but what if you're setting a, an invisible ceiling on yourself? Like, okay, exactly, well, you exactly. a thousand people. So, you know, or like whatever, that too. whatever so, number. Yeah, I think in the first year, I think we would kind of want to get more of a hang of what we're doing here and really kind of like understand this is how you run a podcast. Um, this is how we get our message out there. This is the type of people. This is our audience. So if you're listening to this, you are our audience. We're trying to figure out who's going to listen to this and how we kind of get the message out there. Because the thing here is not necessarily like we're trying to record a podcast just for fun. We want to make some sort of impact in the yeah. future. And we want to have 100%. like an impact on healthcare. So we want to make sure that we can get this out to as many people as we can, who our audience is and how that audience is going to spread it to the rest of the people. So yeah, 100%. I think a lot of that comes from social media uh, at the beginning. So I think uh, the first year of this podcast is going to be definitely solidifying that understanding what direction we want to go to with our audience, with marketing and like kind of figure out systems and processes so that it can kind of run itself for that five years. When, you know, I think one, one thing that this, the whole process has taught me is that, and I guess I've learned in the last year or so in general is that how powerful social media is because if it was for social media, we wouldn't be sitting here right exactly, now doing this. Yeah. Some of the guests that we've had on the podcast purely met through social media. No, it's the random DM you know, slid in and there we yeah. are. <laughs> um, you know, uh, kind of an aside, but one of our, one of our guests, um, 
future PhD or PhD candidate, uh, Alyssa Olenek, uh, and I will be running a 69 mile race together, uh, ultra, ultra marathon in crazy. October. And that's totally, we just met same way we met, yeah. you know? So it's kind of crazy the power that social media can have. And so I don't definitely don't want to underestimate or underscore the potential that even remaining on social media, we can, there a huge difference can be made in that avenue as well. Definitely. But I agree with you for the five-year outlook and even 10-year to 15-year, it's not just the podcast that we have. I think it's just the idea that both of us really want to get out there. So if it ends up taking another form, um, whether it's like physical, through like courses, through whatever it is, we want to make sure that the idea of preventive medicine gets out there because it's never going to go away. It's not one of those things in medicine that gets outdated, like there's a better procedure, there's a better this, better that. It's something that's always there and it's something that's always going to be there to like help humans optimize themselves in a way. So the message is always going to be there. And in whatever form we take, we want to make sure we get it out there and hopefully continue to expand our reach because we want a um, national and dare I say it worldwide impact on this. Cause yeah. it's not just the USA that struggles with this everywhere is starting to struggle with this more and more, you know, and I, and I could agree with that more. And you know, one of the things that's kind of, it's a, it's kind of hard to even fathom because, you know, like I don't view myself as super important in any, in any sort of, you know, social media or the medical world or anything sort of space, but you know, I'm just a lowly M4. Yeah. I'm just a lowly M4. <laughs> not an M3 yet. Not an M3 though. Uh, so better right? than that, better than that. But then uh, we'll be at the bottom of a new totem pole yeah, exactly. in about nine months uh, as interns. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to underestimate our potential to make a difference out there. And I think hopefully, you know, if we both, you know, if this goes where I think we both believe it can, I think, you know, this could be potentially something that in one way or another impacts the world in a very positive way. And honestly, one of the things that I've been thinking about more and more is that no matter what physicians do, um, what there's going to be um, in terms of like our impact out there, at the end of the day, it might end up coming down to policy even of like, what do we do as a country that's going to impact our policy so that we can create a healthier uh, population? Because at some point, if you have rules and restrictions on something through like an actual law, then it's going to be a lot more effective than some people on a podcast just saying things. So if whether or not policy, that, whether I mean, or not yeah. we are making policy or affecting policy, that's a whole nother thing. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that everyone is able to benefit and everyone's able to live a preventive lifestyle. So whatever form that takes, like I was saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, I've seen, you know, we've seen people in the, you know, in this space that kind of where we're attempting to work together with them. And there's so much room for, I think, multiple people to do this, because like oh, we yeah. said, there are so many voices that need to be pushed out of the way because they're being outright harmful or not helpful. And yeah. I think, you know, unfortunately, the sometimes the message of preventive health or evidence-based practices I mean, just even saying evidence-based practices doesn't sound like a party, right? You're not yeah. like, you know, it's not necessarily entertainment. Yeah, I was literally right? just thinking that stuff like preventive medicine is not like, it's not sexy. Like the people who are putting those things out there that are either um, not beneficial or harmful, those are things that get clicks. And those are things that people are like, oh, this looks interesting. I'm going to do it. This one weird trick. Exactly. Yeah. And those are things that people want to click on. And the idea of preventive medicine or living an evidence-based lifestyle and what that's not, it doesn't get clicks. So hopefully we can try to expand beyond that. But, you know, and I think honestly, part of that is because in as much as I, I'd like to sit here and blame the other folks, like the people who are putting out the bad information or the people who are clicking, 
I think some of that burden falls on us to to make what make we're it more saying, clickable. make it palatable, make it clickable. And, clickable and that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> without compromising our soul, so to speak. Right? Exactly. But, so if, if you are listening to this and you think everything we're doing is palatable, please let us know because um, we aren't just here like lecturing you or trying to lecture you with all of our speakers. We're trying to get a message out there. So if we're you're listening with you guys. Exactly. Exactly. So if you are listening to this and you find that we can improve in some way, just do not hesitate to yes. email us at the preventive medicine podcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is. Yeah. Any feedback is good feedback at this point. We like Raghav mentioned earlier, we're so new to like even holding a microphone feels so strange to me. Only so, <laughs> I've been doing YouTube, so I'm a little so bit more you, used to it. But yeah. I mean, like in, not saying I'm a pro or anything. So, I mean, as, as I've been learning and, you know, we've been trying to get this put together. I mean, there's definitely so much that, you know, only so much you can learn without getting feedback. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, the more people we reach, hopefully the more feedback we'll get. And, you know, maybe our, our setup gets a little fancier as we go along and, um, you know, who knows, yeah. maybe we're, you know, we're at some giant medical conference one year. Yeah. Doing this. So yeah. just a little bit behind the scenes stuff about like all of our production stuff. So, um, what we've been doing kind of for the last, um, several months. Um, so our idea behind this, especially being medical students in like Jason was talking about fourth year, which is a pretty big year for us was to kind of get everything done out of the way. So we recorded the entire season one before we even launched it so that we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about scheduling, about recording the podcast, about making the graphics, yeah, about making the YouTube videos. So we did everything before this season even launched so we can kind of just like let it go on autopilot. And one of those things was also kind of creating templates and systems so we can continue advancing it. Posting it. Exactly. um, One of the things I think too, and when we discussed recording all the episodes, you're kind of, you know, blocking out this work in chunks is that I think we were both on the same page as we didn't want to put in all this work and discussions for a year and then have scheduling get in the way and cause the flop. Exactly. Right? So we're like, you know, we had this time, let's get it done in between step one and step two. And now we're kind of, you know, reaching that next spot where we're kind of, fit, I guess the next two months or so will kind of give us a better idea of what the next, then the next six months exactly. look like. Um, but so one thing that we always ask our guests, if you've been a listener so far, uh, is here it comes. What does preventive medicine mean to you? So I want to ask you, Raghav, what does preventive medicine mean to you personally? So I think preventive medicine um, can take a lot of definitions. And I think the thing that we try to tell, uh, at least that I try to tell other people, is that it's, it's dependent on you, what it means to live healthily and to live a full life. Because at the end of the day, preventive medicine is about being able to do what you want to do and not being hindered by any health issues. So for me, if that's like being able to play with my grandchildren when I'm 80 years old, 90 years old, if it's being able to still travel the world to go on hikes, which I definitely want to do, I have a, like I want to climb the Himalayas at some point, go explore those parts of the world. There's life to be lived, right? Exactly. So I want to be able to do that and not worry about any conditions with health. Like for example, if I have diabetes, then um, I don't want some like leg claudication or some neuropathy going on in my foot that holds yeah, me back from climbing, climbing the Himalayas. If you have heart failure. Exactly. You, know? you can't do that. So I think that's what preventive medicine means to be. It's uh, having a foundation of health so that you can do what you want to do. And that might sound very similar to you because uh, that, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the intro to our podcast. <laughs> uh, so... Um, yeah, I think, you know, not to, to just, just so I don't, you know, reiterate the exact same things. I think one of the things for me is that um, I think that there are so there are so many people that if they, they don't get an opportunity to lead their fullest life because of the chronic disease states they've ended up 
finding or finding themselves burdened by, right? Um, oh, yeah. And so many with so many preventable health issues that I've seen, it, it just I've seen firsthand one how how much it can be kind of like handcuffs to have these. It's, it's honestly yeah. very sad to see. There was, there was actually a patient, sorry to go off on a quick tangent, but there was a patient that, uh, had a stroke. We were, I was doing my neurology rotation and there, there was a patient that came in with a stroke and he had literally retired the week before and was getting ready to like go His on a around years, the world right? trip. Yeah. He was literally about to go on an around the world trip and then got a stroke and now everything's out the window. Yep. So, you know, the, it, almost the, the ability to live life to the full potential. Um, I think to not be hindered by your physical state is what I would say. So preventive medicine is about not being hindered by your physical state in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think the idea we're trying to put out there is more so that life is what matters. And it's not about like health is not the end goal. We're not trying to get healthy just for the sake of being healthy, because that's what you see a lot of times on Instagram. You're like, get a six pack. Okay. Now, yeah, exactly. Why? What, what is that? What is the significance of that? Like, hey, like, hey, these eating this way will make you healthier. And then the, the and then what? was like, what? Why? Exactly. So our idea is not to get healthy, although that's the foundation of everything we're saying. Our idea is that we want you to live life like how you want to live it and have nothing like to stop you from doing that. That's yeah. what health is for. Being healthy is like base camp, dude. Going off this mount, the, the mountain climbing. It's exactly. like that. It gives you that platform of like, hey, I'm 75, but I want to go water skiing for the first time. Exactly. You, Why not? You took care of all, you know, you're taking care of your health. So you're strong, you're resilient. You don't have any reason why you can't do that. You know, you can take up gymnastics at age 85. You can, you know, you can run your first ultra marathon. You can, you know, and we're saying older ages, obviously here, but like <laughs> any age, you're, you're 35, you have three kids. Why not run an ultra marathon? Why not exactly. take up powerlifting? Why not, you know, go out and live, live your life in a way that, that brings you joy. This is what I was talking about. I called Jason about recording this podcast earlier, and I so, said there were some dogs that yapped they, around they wanna, in our backyard. They're out have, now. We have some uh, un unwanted guests on the podcast yeah. right now. Uh, <laughs> they just they, they really want to get on the pod. Yeah, um, I think uh, going along with what Jason was saying with uh, doing what it is you want to do, I think one of the things that I incorporate into my life, kind of a test of that, is I just want to be able to do random things. So if someone's like, yo, you want to go run? I'm not a runner by any means of the word. But if someone's like, you want to go run? I'm like, sure, why not? Let's see what happens. You know, one of the one of the things that kind of inspires me, and, and though it's it's not something a message that necessarily you know is maybe beneficial to a lot of people, but <laughs> when I see people doing extreme stuff like running a hundred miles, or you know, like the, the David Gogginses of the world, yeah, they're exactly. like they're doing all these crazy physical feats. Like I'm like, why not me? You know, if it's something that I value, right? But like just as valuable as someone being able to pick up their grandson or their granddaughter, or you know, living living and not having anything hold them back. Exactly. So I think, you know, one of the biggest things we, we definitely want to push is one, how to be healthy and two, why it matters. And that being healthy is not the goal being healthy so that you can live is the goal. Exactly. And I think the, uh, we have a wide variety of guests as well that bring a lot of perspectives into that because like we're saying, health isn't like, there's not just one thing into it. Like getting a six pack does not mean you're healthy. I mean, it's certainly a good indicator that you have like a low body fat, whatever there's that, but there's so many different perspectives onto health and now like how you can. The mental side of it. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's that episode with uh, Dr. Patel, which is a huge, I think it's an incredibly valuable episode that not many people can talk about because I guess not many people people live a uh, preventive lifestyle, mental health wise? You know, and I mean, I, I also think that, like you said, it's, you know, 
Um, shout out to Dr. Baraki for uh, teaching us about the, redu- the anti-reductionist thinking <laughs> pro- thought process. But, you know, just to not be reductionist in our, in our thinking about preventive medicine, you know, there are so many different ways where you could call something preventive medicine or, or even this idea of, of health that we talk about is being able to adapt and thrive. You know, it's, it's living and thriving, not just existing. And I think that's the big difference between our podcast and a lot of the other like fitness ones that are out there in that space because they're just talking about kind of how to get healthy. We're talking about number one, how to get healthy and then building off of that on what you're going to do with your health and like why that matters to be healthy. And then, uh, so if you ran into me at a coffee shop and I asked you, oh, oh here we go. Dude, we're, flip, we're flipping the tables this now. This is 10 years down the road. Dr. Sharma, how do I get healthy? Dude, you're, how, your podcast is so great. How do I get healthy? So, Two minutes. So if you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, hopefully you have, then at the end of every episode, we uh, ask our guests in two minutes, how to get healthy? And that's kind of a way to, I'm flabber, I'm uh, filibustering right now. <laughs> you're trying to <laughs> think of your, thinking of two minutes. But yeah, at the end of every, every, every episode, sorry, just word salad of that. But before you even answer, I'll give you some more time to think based on, just by cutting you off. But uh, you I'm know, trying to give them context, man. I, I think, I'm <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that uh, in this question that I find fascinating is the different answers we get. Oh, yeah. Because literally every single guest is an expert and they still all have some different uh, avenue of the way they view preventive medicine. Exactly. Yeah. And the idea behind this is to give like a quick digestible tip. So here's my two minutes. We're done with the filibuster. Um, My thing would be to kind of just start somewhere and understand that you are not going to be perfect on day one that you start. Um, It's okay to mess up. It's okay to take the wrong approach, quote unquote. You don't have to do hours and hours and hours of research before you even start doing any single thing. Just pick something, do it, do it well, and then build on that. So whether that's just simply walking literally five minutes a day, if it's more than what you were doing or whether that's drinking one less soda per week, just do something, but don't get complacent with that one thing and say, just because I'm doing this one thing, um, I'm healthy. It's always a process. Let it build. So for both Jason and I, we both started doing obviously incorrect things with our view of health, but we improved, we learned what we were doing and then we kept going, building on from there. And now here we are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, avoiding a perfectionist mindset when it comes to health is, is so big because there may be things that we practice in our own lives right now that maybe five or 10 y- years down the road, we look back on it. Like, what were we doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not the idea of perfection, but the, uh, the idea of improvement. Right. So if, if I were answering that question, someone comes up to me two minutes, you know, how do I get healthy? You know, I would say, what do you want to accomplish? Once you answer that question, then the other answers become more easy to fill in. But, you know, what, is some, what are some things that you would like to do with your life that right now you can't or maybe 10 years from now you won't be able to and why? And so I think my two minutes is going to be spent more of having them do some sort of introspective thinking of what Giving do I, them homework, classic. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, <laughs> trade, trading Def, roles. Definitely being mentored by yeah. Austin right there. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> what are some things you would like to accomplish that you feel like you can't or things you're worried about in the future that you worried you, you may not be able to experience? So and once you answer those questions, check out our podcast. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we start. And uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you got something out of it. Hope you learned a little bit more about why we decided to start the podcast, a little bit more about uh, me and Jason. 
Um, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to check out uh, all of our social media platforms at Prevent Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to check out our website, thepreventivemedicinepodcast.com. And a very special thank you to every guest that we've had on for our first season. We couldn't have done this without you guys. So we look forward to working with most of you again and all of you again in the future. And thank you for helping us uh, get this thing started. Yep. Yep. Hey, everyone. This is Raghav. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you want more content and to join in on the conversation, find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Prevent Podcast. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thank you all for listening and we will see you next time.